Stand with me as we read the word of God uh, and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13. This is the word of God. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas, Cleopas, Uh, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us, and uh, they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Uh, Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Father, we ask that you would bless this word today. Uh, We pray that it would uh, come forth with power and clarity and that would impact our very souls so that we may see you clearly uh, in all that you've said. Uh, So we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. The date was uh, September 11th, 2001. Anybody remember that date? I still remember exactly where I was uh, when I first heard that the towers had hit the building. Do y'all remember that? Y'all, like, do y'all remember? Uh, do you remember where you were when you first the first time you heard that? That's crazy, right? I was in I was in eleventh grade at the time. I was in history class. Uh, cool, coolest white dude I ever met in my life. My my history teacher, crazy hair. He was like the class clown, so I think I liked him because he never made us do no work. But either way, I was in, uh, oh, I'm sorry, Tommy, you're the second coolest white dude. Oh, you're pointing to somebody else. Oh, I'm sorry, I thought she was pointing to you, sorry. You are a cool white guy, though. Um, 
but but I, so so I was in I was in eleventh grade history class, and and they they began to call over the loudspeaker and call some students down to the office, and you know I didn't think anything of it, uh, and then you know our teacher who was a class clown, he 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 started pulling us together and he got real serious, you know, and he t- he began to tell us why they were calling these students down to the office. Uh, and so he proceeded to tell us how planes had hit the building, uh, and there was still a lot of confusion. Nobody quite knew what happened. So, you know, we we, we, we was just like, oh, man, that's crazy. And so we kind of went on with our day. Um, but everybody was still kind of talking about it. There was, like, murmuring going on. And so I get home, and my pops is real frantic on the phone trying to get in touch with my aunts and, and my grandmother because his whole side of the family is from New York. And so I didn't think much of it. And, and I went and turned the TV on, and this was probably the first time in my life I can remember watching the news. Um, and so I'm watching the news, and they start using the word terrorist attack, which, which I mean, if you use the word terrorist attack pre-9-11 and post-9, completely different meaning. And so I began to see why my father was so frantic, because if you, if you had any family in New York and tried to get in touch with you, you couldn't get in contact with anybody up there at the time. And so uh, 9-11 was, for me, I'm making this example because for me, since the day I was born, uh, 19, November 2nd, 1984, this was the most tragic event that's, been, that's taken place since I've been alive, that has changed the course of history, especially in America. Would you agree? Some of you may remember, uh, some, some of the most tragic event for some of you may be when Martin Luther King was shot. Um, I asked the question if anybody was still alive when uh, the bomb dropped in Hiroshima, and Pastor Larry said that wasn't a good question because, uh, you know, you're not supposed to ask ladies how old they are. And, and so I just said chalk it up to, to the foolishness of me being young. But, but either way, this was, this was a tragic event where no matter what channel you turned on the TV for that, for that week, no matter where you walked, no matter what you did, everybody was talking about this. You couldn't get away from it. There was confusion, there was anger, there was hurt, there was just, there was, there, nobody knew what to do, but everybody was talking about it. And so this is where we find ourselves here in this text, with these two, two disciples as they walk down the road back to Emmaus, probably going back home. Jesus who was the Christ, had just died. Now, if you know anything about them, this, this, is, this is the biggest tragedy that's happened in their lives up until this point. Because these guys, uh, or one of them is a guy, we don't know who the other person is, uh, it, it could have been a woman or a man, but, but the, these two people have been born under uh, Roman authority. And so all they've known is, uh, is this compression of being told what to do and made, uh, and made to do things based on uh, how Rome has wanted to treat Israel, right? And so, and so they've grown up in this, and the only hope that they've had is this promise of a redeemer, this promise of this Messiah that's going to come and free them from the bondage of, of, of uh, foreign rulership. Right. And so so these guys, these guys have grown up with this hope of this redeemer and this redeemer. And then Jesus steps on the scene at age 30. He steps on the scene and he comes out and says, listen, I'm the redeemer that that you're seeking. And he starts teaching some old crazy stuff, talking about how he's God and how he's the redeemer. He's the Messiah that's supposed to come. And if you can imagine with me, these, they've been disciples of Jesus. They weren't part of the 12, but they've been disciples following Jesus. So they've walked with him, and they've seen him go up to blind dudes and rub mud in their eyes 
and then wipe it away and dudes can see for the first time. Can you imagine walking with a friend of yours down the street and them going up to a blind guy and putting mud on their eyes and then wiping it away and the dude can see for the first time? He's never seen what a dog looks like. He's only heard it. And now for the first time he sees a dog. He doesn't know what the color red is because he's never seen it before. He's never seen a cloud or any of that stuff. Or what about somebody who's never walked in their life before and you're walking with Jesus, following him, watching him do crazy stuff, and he goes and, and touches somebody or even just tells them to get up and they get up and walk for the first time on their two feet. Can you imagine how that would blow your mind? What about taking a couple fish and a couple loaves and feeding thousands of people who are just chilling around? Like, you have to imagine, like, we read about these stuff, but these dudes were watching him do it in person. And so, and so imagine they're walking with Jesus. Jesus is doing this crazy stuff, and he's calling himself the Messiah. And, 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 and so these dudes are getting hyped. They're like, yeah, we got the Messiah. Like, he about to come in and wreck, wreck shop on Israel. We about to take over. I want to be with him when he take over in the streets and all of that type of stuff. And then he dies. They've given up. They, they, they've, they've put all their chips in on Jesus. They said, yo, I'm, I'm all in. I left my career, I left my family, like I left everything to follow you because you, you said you was the Messiah, I see you doing all this crazy stuff, and then you die. Can you imagine how confusing that would be? And so they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and yo, they're, they're, their lives are completely wrecked because they're like, they're, they're confused like, yo, what just happened to us? We was on top of the world with Jesus, and then he died. What are we supposed to do with our lives now? They're left, they're left confused, disillusioned, bitter, angry, grieving still. They're, they're left with a lack of direction for their lives. They don't, they don't know what to do with themselves, and plus they just heard that some people went to the tomb and he wasn't there. And so they're hearing all the rumors that are going around about why Jesus isn't in the tomb anymore. Can you imagine just like how, like how jacked up your world would be if you were them? And so they're walking back on the road to Emmaus, and they're talking back and forth, speculating about all the things that have happened. And uh, in, 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 uh, in verse 14, it says, while we were, they were talking uh, with each other about the things that have happened, verse 15, uh, while they were talking and discussing, that discussing is like a heated, a heated verbal exchange, a heated verbal argument. You, have you ever been so just out of it in your mind that you've been arguing with somebody and you keep repeat, repeating the same points over and over and over again, and, and you don't even realize that you're making the same argument you've been making for the last two hours and they doing the same thing and y'all ain't getting nowhere in terms of convincing one or the other about which way to go y'all just keep saying the same stuff all over again that's what they like that's the kind of conversation they having and so they're walking worlds jacked up they having this convo with each other and Jesus just shows up right in verse 15 it says Jesus himself drew near and went with them now I like I like that that Luke uses the term Jesus himself Luke was a historian and a doctor, so Luke was very, very big on details, right? And so Luke wanted his readers to understand, when I say Jesus himself, I don't want you to be mistaken and think that we're talking about some hyper-spiritual activity or that he was just a ghost or a spirit. And we'll get back, we'll we'll work on that later. Uh, but, But he wants you to know that it was Jesus. It was actually Jesus himself, him, Jesus in the flesh, Jesus, nobody else, 
Jesus himself drew near, right? And so these dudes are walking, and out of nowhere, Jesus just shows up and starts walking with them. He just shows up out of nowhere, out of nowhere, and just starts walking with these dudes, right? But look at verse 16. It says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now imagine, imagine you've been walking with somebody like a best friend, and you've, you've spent almost every day with them for the last three years, and then they go somewhere for like three days and come back, and they hang out with you, and you don't know who they are. Wow. That would, yo, like that would, like that's, that's like my wife walking somewhere and coming back home, and I'm like, yo, who are you? <laughs> it's the same, like, so something, something happened, something happened to their ability to be able to stand face-to-face with Jesus and talk with him and be in relationship with him and still not be able to see him clearly. And so it says that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And then it goes on, it says, verse 17, it says, He said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And so Jesus asked me, like, what are you guys talking about? And so Cleopas, uh, one of the two, begins to tell e- each other. But before he does that, they kind of, they get real somber and sad. And if you've ever experienced a tragedy or a difficulty, it's usually easier to talk, it's usually easier to talk with people about how you're feeling and, and, and the, how it's impacted your life than it actually is to talk about the event itself. Right. And so and so what's happened is they're talking about how they're feeling. They're talking about the different rumors that are going on. But when Jesus asked them exactly what happened, they get sad all over again, like, I got to tell this dude what happened. And so and so Cleopas, being the dude that he is, he's like, where like, where have you been? He's like, well, you've been living under a rock. This whole like, are you the only dude in Jerusalem that has not heard these things, this happened. And so Jesus, being the comedian that he is, he says, what things? What things? If you don't think Jesus got a sense of humor, like that like tops the cake for me, right? And so, so Jesus asks him, what things? Like, like he doesn't know what just happened to him the last three days, like he, was, like he was in a car accident and got concussed and couldn't remember the events of what happened, right? But this is more than just, if you know anything about Jesus, Jesus is probably the most profound questioner to ever exist. Like he asked, Jesus asked some of the dopest questions known to man, but they're very simplistic. They're very simple in nature, but they always get directly to the heart of what he's trying to get at. And so Jesus here isn't merely just saying, tell me about the facts of the events that have happened the last couple of days. Jesus wants them to expose themselves of, uh, in light of what's happened, how do you view me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I want to know in light of what's just taken place, how, do you see, how have the events impacted how you relate to me based on how we've walked together for the last three years? So Jesus is getting to the heart of why now, now he, he's, he's telling them to explain, like he wants to, to, to hear the information, but usually when you're grieved and your mind is just jumbled, you'll rattle off and you'll start, you'll say certain things in a way so that some people, like it's known where you are in your heart based on, you ha- based on how you say certain things. And so Jesus wants to know, he wants to know, I want to see where your heart is based on how you communicate to me what just happened. 
So let's take a look at what he says. Verse 19. And Jesus said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. Already in Cleopas' first sentence, first sentence, he's already let Jesus know that I have a limited understanding of who you are. What does he say? He says, he says, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, a man, was Jesus a man? Absolutely. A prophet, was he a prophet? Absolutely. Did he do mighty deeds and, might, and have mighty words before God and the people? Absolutely. But Jesus' identity does not stop there, to just being a man and just being a prophet and just doing a bunch of crazy stuff. And so their understanding and their walking with God or their walking with Jesus was, this is who Jesus is. He was a prophet, a good man of God who did crazy stuff, but it ended there. And so they've already exposed in their hearts that even though I've walked with Jesus for a while intimately, I still have a limited understanding of who he is. And so, they, so he, first sentence, Cleopas already exposing himself. Verse 20, then he says, and how the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Verse 21, but we had hope that he was the one to redeem Israel. Stop there. If you know anything about the, the Jewish culture, they, were, they, they are identity oriented based on their nationality, especially back in this time, right? And so one of the things that they always looked forward to, uh, as I said earlier, was this coming of a redeemer, this guy who was going to come and free Israel uh, from bondage, and he was going to come and just wreck shop and take over, and they were going to like dance in the streets and have a big party because they knew that the Messiah was coming, and so that's what they were waiting for. They were waiting for a Messiah who was going to come and give physical freedom to them, and so they were waiting for the one to redeem Israel and, 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 and everything that they've read, read in the prophets and in, and in the law concerning the Messiah, they've said, well, obviously Jesus didn't fit the, the qualifiers of being the Messiah because he didn't redeem Israel. Basically what they're saying is we expected Jesus to be something. We had expectations for Jesus and he didn't meet our expectations. Therefore, that determines that we are confused now. Their, their expectations of this Messiah were misguided because of their lack of understanding of what, what the passages that talked about the Messiah were actually about. And so they said, you know what, God, I'm confused, I'm angry, I'm bitter, and I don't have any direction for my life because I put expectations on you that you didn't meet. And because you didn't meet those expectations, now there's no, like I have no direction in my life. And then he says, yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. I find this hilarious uh, because it, you, it, in all the evidence that they have uh, and in walking with Jesus and hearing Jesus talk and, and seeing the things that he said, there were multiple occasions on which Jesus talked about his need to suffer, but also how he was going to rise on the third day. Right. And so I find it hilarious that Cleopas and company can mention the fact like they go out of their way to mention the fact that, yeah, not only has all this stuff happened, but it's been it's been three days since he's died. And they can't connect the dots that Jesus said he was going to rise on the third day. 
all the information, all the evidence right in front of them. Because they go on to say, he goes on to say, like, even, even the women who were with us, when they went to the tomb, it was empty. They said this, they saw angels who talked to them and said that he was risen, he's not here. Then dudes went to confirm what the women said, because back in those days, they didn't really validate anything that women said. And so now they've gone, and the men have gone to confirm that the tomb is empty. And so they have all this information. Jesus saying he's going to rise on the third day, the tomb being empty, angels saying that he's not here, he's risen, and yet they can't connect the dots that Jesus has actually risen from the dead. And so they're they're walking with him and talking with him, and they don't realize that it's Jesus. And so Jesus responds in verse 25, and he says to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? What I, what I find uh, um, amazing is the fact that Jesus rebukes them. Jesus rebukes them for their lack of understanding, right? And he says, he says you guys are operating in very similar ways that a lot of preachers today operate. They run to the passages that talk about all the good stuff. I know the plans that I have for you. The plans of good and of grace. I got a purpose for you. Like, I got things I want to do in your life. I want you to be blessed. Nothing bad's ever going to happen to you. You're going you're, you're, you're to have your dream life. All of that type of stuff. He said, listen, you're operating just like them because you're, going, you're only concerned with the passage that talk about the Messiah rule passages. You only, you only concern yourself with passages that talk about how the king of Israel is going to come and redeem, and he's going to come on a horse conquering and, and, and freeing the captives, and that's all you care about. But you've, you've, you've neglected the whole of Scripture. That's why he says, you are slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And so Jesus rebukes them and says, listen, like, you, you don't like all the Scriptures. You don't like all the Scriptures. You, you only like the good stuff. You only like the good stuff. Like, you, you, don't, you don't like, you don't like the, the passages that talk about suffering. You don't like how it talks about being angry but not sinning. You don't, you don't like the passages that talk about you suffering so that you can be a, a blessing to somebody else who suffers in the same way. Or finding joy in difficulty. Like, we don't like that stuff. And so Jesus says, Jesus in, 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 in verse 27, it says, And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Can you imagine the king of kings and the Lord of lords opening the text and beginning to walk you through everywhere where he's present in the scriptures? I mean, we sit up here and we preach this thing and we, we say, wow, and we ooh and ah. And it's like, man, that was a good word today, Pastor. But we, we see through a glass dimly, 1 Corinthians 13, and we don't, we don't have the type of understanding that Jesus has. So you can, can you imagine this God, the very one who gave the words for these authors to write down, going back in the text and beginning to walk through, beginning with the law, all the things concerning himself, stopping at Genesis 3.15 and talking about the first uh, evangelistic message of the gospel of this redeemer who was going to come through the seed of a woman and then flipping over to Genesis 22 and talking about how Abraham put wood on Isaac's back and he had to walk up the side of a mountain and then he said before he put him on the altar he said hold up Abraham I got a ram in the bush that's going to be a scapegoat for you and then we flip over to Exodus and he starts saying I want you to institute the Passover 
Passover where you take a lamb without blemish and you kill it and you take the blood and pour it over the doorpost. And when my wrath stops by, I'm going to look at that place and know that you've been obedient. And my blood that I've told you to put there is there and I'm going to pass over that place. And then he walks through Leviticus and he starts pointing out all of the ceremonial sacrifices and say, that one points to me. Did you see me in that one? Don't forget this one over here. And then he might stop down at Psalm 22 and 69 and quote to him the very things that he said a couple days prior. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he might go over to Isaiah 53 and start talking about the suffering servant and how he was going to be bruised for your transgressions and slain for your iniquities. But then how he's going to get up and raise on the third day victorious in power and in might. He's saying, I need you to see me on every letter of every word, of every sentence, in every paragraph, of every chapter, of every book. I need you to see me in everything. And so Jesus, Jesus begins to walk them through the redemptive narrative of scripture and saying, listen, the, the God of heaven and earth has purpose that everything that's spoken of in this word of God has to do with me. And he's basically saying to them, I know that you've heard about the Messiah, but you've missed it. You've missed it. And so he begins to walk them through this text. And mind you, they've got a seven mile Walk, so they've been walking for a good two or three hours, and it's getting dark, and so they finally get to uh, the village of Emmaus, and they urge him to come on in, probably to keep talking with them, and because it was getting dark, and, and you know, they usually didn't walk on the roads when it was dark because of the wild animals and, and robbers and thieves, and so they urged him to come in, and so Jesus came on in with them, and then they, they, they set up a meal, and then Jesus took the, the bread, uh, verse 30, when he was at the table with them. He took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Now, this wasn't, this wasn't a communion type of meal because these disciples weren't part of the 12 uh, when Jesus instituted uh, the Last Supper. Uh, but what's significant about this uh, in verse 31, their eyes were open and they recognized him. This is important. I want you to hear this. I'm convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that God kept them from recognizing him because he wanted their experience, uh, he wanted the truth of the, the resurrection to be rooted in the word of God, not in the experience they had with him on the road. It's, it's, it's a very dangerous thing when our experience with God or, or our experience of what God has done for us becomes the foundation of our faith and it's void of the word of God. And this, this is where these disciples were. They had experienced God for three years, but their identity, of the, the identity and character of their faith was not rooted in the word of God. It was rooted in them seeing Jesus do a bunch of things and hearing him say a bunch of stuff, but it wasn't rooted in the word of God. Because what happens is, when you, when you take that experience and you've had this personal experience with God and you put all your trust in that and you build your foundation on that, the first thing that happens 
Uh, when your experience comes face to face with either the truth of God or f- faces some difficulty and adversity and it begins to fall apart, the first thing that sets in is confusion. And then what happens is doubt. And then you get to the unbelief. And then you start to question the character of God and the goodness of God. And you begin to question your faith altogether because the basis of your identity in Christ has been rooted in an experience and not in what he said in his word. If you base it on all the good stuff that God's doing for you, what do you do when he stops doing good stuff? What, what, what if he divinely chooses you like Job to go through some difficulty? Do you go to the word? Is that the first place you go to? Do you run to your friends first? Vegging out on the TV, playing video games, shopping, anywhere but the word of God. Let's keep moving. Verse 32, oh, 31, and their eyes were open, they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Verse 32, and they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour, they rose immediately and went back to Jerusalem, found the eleven, and those that were gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. We're going to read a little bit down further. I'm not going to preach on this section necessarily, but I want you to see something and why it's so important that your identity, the identity and character of your faith be rooted in Scripture and in the Word of God rather than how you experience God. Right. So let's let's go down. Verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. Do you like that's crazy to me. Jesus had a physical body and walked through a wall. That don't do it to you. I want somebody to get up and try to walk through this wall real quick. That should blow your mind. Jesus in a physical resurrected body just shows up at a place, just shows up out of nowhere at places, through walls, just chilling with them. Anyway, all right, let's move on. As they were talking, Jesus stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Listen to this, verse 37. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Jesus responds, So they've seen the resurrected God too. Listen, this is the disciples, right? Jesus has said all this stuff about him raising from the dead, and they have uh, the the Old Testament that talks about it all the time, and he's told them personally he's going to raise from the dead. They have the evidence of the, the women and the other men who've gone to the tomb and said he wasn't there, the vision of angels that said he was risen. And so they see him resurrected, and they think he's a ghost. And so Jesus says to them, why are you startled and frightened? Uh, and, and, and why do doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have, right? So Jesus is saying, he's saying, listen, you've, you have all the evidence in the world and you don't believe I've risen. And so now I'm going to stand in front of you and I'm going to have you examine me with your hands. I want you to touch my flesh 
and see that I'm not a spirit because the spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. And so they have, they're accumulating all of this evidence, but look what they say in verse 40. Well, look what it says in verse 41. While they still disbelieved. They had all of the evidence necessary. They had prophecy. They had the actual Messiah saying that he was going to rise from the dead. When it happened, they had an empty tomb and a vision of angels that said he had risen. They even had Jesus show up in the flesh, and they examined him with their hands. All the evidence in the world will still leave you short-sighted. All the evidence in the world will still leave you wanting more if it's not rooted in the word of God. What does he have to do? See, it wasn't enough for them to just experience the resurrection of Jesus by him showing up and hanging out with them in the flesh, even though all of these things have been said about his resurrection. What did Jesus have to do? Look with me down to verse 44. And he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and prophets, uh, the law of Moses and prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures. Their experience with God wasn't enough for them to believe that he had actually risen from the dead, even though they had seen him with their own eyes and touched them with their own hands. The word of God had to be the source of, of validating for them that the Messiah had actually risen from the dead. So Jesus himself actually present with them was not enough for them to believe. He had to open the text so that their minds could be open. And see, and see, we know that this stuck with the we, we know that this stuck with the disciples, um, because when 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 they when Peter uh, went and was chilling with Cornelius in Acts, what did he do? He said he uh, it says he opened his eyes or opened his mind to the things concerning the Christ and all of the law and all the prophets. And then when Philip met with the Ethiopian eunuch, it says that he opened his mind to all the things concerning the Christ through the law of the prophets and, and the Psalms. And 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 even Paul when he's talking to King Agrippa, it says he opened his mind to all the things concerning the cross through the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. It's not good enough for you to go to somebody and tell them about your experience with God. Your testimony is good, but it's not the word of God. Anything but the word of God to convince people about the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of a resurrected king falls short, way short. That's why we need the word of God to do our speaking for us. And so you have these disciples who've been walking with Jesus for a while, and they've experienced him. They've seen him do crazy things. They heard about the resurrection. They gathered all this evidence. They even saw Jesus in the flesh, and they still didn't believe. And it wasn't until Jesus, the God of heaven and earth, opened up the word of God for them that their eyes were opened for them to be able to see him clearly. That's what he wants for us today. It's impossible for us to have a, a healthy understanding of who God is, what he came to do, that he's actually risen from the grave if it's not rooted in the word of God. You can have the best experience in the world, but it, it won't hold up to the test. It'll falter and fail every time. And so, so, so what, I, what I want for us is, I want, when we open this, when we open this, I want us to see Jesus everywhere. I want us to see him everywhere. 
If somebody's teaching the word of God and you don't see and you don't hear Jesus one time, I need you to be very, very concerned. Because this is what Jesus did. We're talking about King Jesus, who was God. I mean, he was God. And God himself said, it's, it's, not, it, it's not enough for you just to experience me. You, you got to know the word of God. Amen. You would think that meeting Jesus or coming face to face with Jesus would be enough for somebody to believe. But even Jesus here says, it's not enough that, you, that I've come face to face with you if it's not rooted in what I've said. Let's be sure. Let's be sure that the, the, condi- the, the conviction of our heart is rooted in the word of God. And when we hear this word of God where Jesus is preached all over the place, is there a passion that burns in you? A passion that burns to the point where it causes you to do some old crazy stuff. Like walk along a dark road for seven miles in fear of getting robbed, in fear of getting beaten or probably eaten by a wild animal just because you had to go tell somebody else Amen. that the Christ was risen. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to stop there. Let's pray. (sighs) Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've clearly shown us where you are in your word, which is everywhere. Everywhere we turn, whenever this, this word is open, we come face to face with the reality of who you are. And so, God, I pray that that would impact our lives. I pray that we would have a burning desire to walk closely with you. I pray that our faith would be uh, rooted and grounded in the reality of what your word says, that our faith may be built upon the rock and not the sand, to be washed away when difficulty and adversity come against it, but that we would be rooted in the character of who you are because of what you said about yourself in this word. Uh, And so, Lord, I pray that that would be us. I pray that that would be our prayer, and I pray that that would be the posture of our hearts. Uh, We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.